0: Amen. Well, I am excited to be with you this morning, and it's kind of fun because as we've been going through the book of Luke, today is a day in the church world that we call Palm Sunday, the day when Jesus had his triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem, his coronation ceremony, his anointing as king, and that is where we have come to in the book of Luke. And so I just want to read this for you. We're in chapter 19, if you want to follow along, starting with verse 28. It says, when he had said this, so right after the parable of the Minas that we saw last week, when he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, where as you enter you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, Why are you loosing it? thus you shall say to him, Because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, Why are you loosing the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road, then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees, try to, try to picture this now. Some of the Pharisees called out to him from the crowd, trying to shout over that multitude, Teacher! Rebuke your disciples! But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. I love to imagine the multitude that was there, and you can almost picture as he walks with his disciples, but as he's coming, as more and more people gather in, and the din grows, and the volume rises, and you know what a crowd like this looks like, because just a couple of weeks ago was opening day for the Cincinnati Reds, And we do a big parade for this, don't we? I mean, this this, this is from this year. The streets crowded with people cheering and shouting because their hopes are high. What? Now the reality is the opening day set a record high attendance for the Cincinnati Reds. Within a week... Things were not going as well as people expected, and they set a record low for attendance. Now, here's the reality for the moment that Jesus is in, because you can see here a modern day picture of what it looks like as people crowded into Jerusalem. Not here, but the next one. (laughs) Next slide, please. Thank you. (laughs) filling the streets with palm branches on what we call Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry of Jesus. And on this day, the multitude was massive. But maybe not unlike the Reds, within a week, it seemed like things weren't going as well as people expected, and a lot of that multitude became a mob. But for today, even though they may not have understood everything they were saying, they were right about who Jesus was. And the historian Josephus tells us, That the reason people were gathering is because this was one of their pilgrimage feasts. That three times a year, Jewish people would all gather in Jerusalem, come to the temple to celebrate these specific feasts that God had given them. And so that's why they were coming at this moment in time. And there were a lot of them. Josephus says that they would have had 256,000 lambs sacrificed at these feasts. And each lamb was for about ten people. So that puts you in the range somewhere of two, two and a half million just Jewish people crowding into the city of Jerusalem to celebrate this feast. This one in particular was Passover. So Jesus is coming in on this day, the beginning of the Passover celebration that in his own life would end with the crucifixion and the resurrection. And if we track our dates accurately, we think that this is actually lamb selection day when Jesus rides into town as king. So here's what the crowd did that we want to do today. Give glory to the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And there's a couple different pictures in this passage that help us to do that. And the first comes almost right away when Jesus gets into town. It says he's near Bethphage and Bethany. Bethphage means house of figs. Bethany is the place where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived. So even this multitude would be people who knew that this was the one who had brought their friend Lazarus back from the dead. But when he gets there, Jesus sends his disciples. He says, go to that village opposite you. You're going to find a colt. So this is a young donkey. One that no one's ever ridden on and, and bring it to me because the Lord has need of it. So if Jesus is king, if this is like his anointing, his coronation, if he's coming into town in glory and people are singing over him, why a donkey? Why not a war horse? Why not a chariot? I mean, something else, but a donkey. Well, there's a reason for this because a donkey is actually a symbol of royalty. And... Not just as one of those like, you know, I think somewhere back in the past, once in a while, there was a guy who did this. No, a donkey was an intentional symbol of royalty when either they were coming in peace, or they were being anointed, or both. In fact, one historical example of this comes right out of the book of First Kings. In First Kings chapter 1, David is still alive, but one of his sons is trying to take over the kingdom. But David knows that the kingdom had been promised to Solomon, And so it says in 1 Kings that Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, the Cherethites and the Pelethites went down and had Solomon ride on King David's mule and took him to Gihon. Then Zadok the priest took a horn of oil from the tabernacle and anointed Solomon. So this was the sign and the symbol to the people that this other son is not your king. Solomon is your king. And if you remember, it tells us that David during his kingship was a man of war, but Solomon would be a king of peace. And so Solomon rides in on a donkey to be anointed as the king of peace for God's people. And if you remember about eight chapters ago in Luke chapter 11, verse 31, Jesus told us that one greater than Solomon has appeared. That there is a king here who is mightier, And more peaceful even than Solomon. But it's not just a historical note. The donkey is also a prophetic picture of the king who would come. It says in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your king is coming to you. And how will you know? He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey. A colt. That's our word. The foal of a donkey. So it's not only historical, but this is prophetic. Because in this moment in Zechariah, this is a proclamation of the coming Messiah. Not just any king, but the king of kings. Who would come humbly, lowly, riding on a donkey. So Jesus is making an intentional statement here. Because he asked his disciples go and bring me a colt. He knows that this is the moment, this is the time. And for all the times that he's told his followers or told people when he healed them, hey, okay, you say I'm the Christ, but don't talk about it right now because they didn't understand who he was. Even though this multitude may not completely understand who he is and why he was here, this is a moment that he wanted them to know that he is the king. In fact, all four gospels record this moment and in John chapter 12, it specifically says that Jesus did these things so that when he died and rose again, they would remember that he had done this and that this had been written about him. That a few days from now when things to be, seem to be going not so well and they wonder if maybe he was the king after all, they could remember that he is fulfilling prophecy. Because every Jewish person coming into the city would know this prophecy and they would know that this is a statement of the king. And so the donkey actually gives us an opportunity to bring him glory. In fact, here's something for you. I want you and me to give Jesus glory like a donkey. Sound good? I want you to be a donkey today. Actually, I want you to be a donkey every day. How does that sound? If next time I see you, I say... You are a donkey. But here's what I love about this. As goofy as that sounds, there's so many cool ways that God uses donkeys in the Bible. Right? Solomon rode in on a donkey. Jesus is riding in on a donkey. In the book of Job, the donkey is actually a picture of the freedom God gives even in the midst of the worst circumstances. Or if you remember the prophet Balaam, when he's about to be chopped in half by an angel, it is a donkey who speaks up to save his life. There are multiple times in the Bible where the donkeys have a better sense of what God is doing than we do. So so let's be donkeys. Let's give God glory like a donkey because what happens in this passage when they get there and they begin to untie the colt, reasonable question from the owners, why are you loosing the colt? I mean, wouldn't you ask the same thing if somebody like sneaks into your yard, doesn't say anything to you and just starts taking your stuff? I mean, you might just call the police, (laughs) but at the very least, what are you doing and I love this. They said, the Lord has need of him. And that's like the end of the conversation. No further questions. No pushback. You know, maybe the first way that we give glory like that donkey is, is actually to be like that owner. You know, that when God comes and says, I want that. I need that. I can use that for my kingdom. I don't know about you, but sitting here at 8.50 on a Sunday morning, I say, yeah. But then when it actually happens, I'm a little bit more like, well, how long do you need it, God? How, how much of it do you need? Can I give you half of my donkey? Can I keep the other half? Or, or can I have it back when you're done? Because I still think it's mine, right? But to have a heart that says, hey, if the Lord has need of it, with my resources, with my time, with my relationships. The Lord has need of it. Because the other way that we do this is the donkey itself, if you think about what the donkey is doing, the donkey lifts Jesus up so that other people can see that he is the king. Because Jesus was coming to Jerusalem either way and he could have just walked into town wave to a couple of people. They would skip the palm branches and and their cloaks. But he comes in on a donkey on purpose because this shows people that he is King Jesus. So when we give him glory like a donkey, whatever that is for us, whatever that moment where we say, this is for you, we have the opportunity to lift him up so that others can see that he is king. We, We have an opportunity to let him be king over us, that the donkey who has never been ridden lets Jesus sit there, but it also lifts him up so that others can see that he is king. And one of the things that I love about this donkey, Exodus 13 talks about laws for the firstborn, and the firstborn animal, person, whatever it is, is always dedicated to God. Unless it's a donkey. If it's a firstborn donkey, it dies. They kill it. Unless it is redeemed by the blood of a sacrificial lamb. I hear that, I start to think, you know, I am not that different than a donkey. Because I would die unless I was redeemed by the blood of a sacrificial lamb. So when we give him glory like a donkey, there's a lot of ways that that can happen. And sometimes it is huge and sometimes it seems small. Sometimes God asks you for something big and like the whole world knows about it. You know, it's John the Baptist. It's Paul the Apostle. In our day, maybe it's a Billy Graham. Somebody that you say, now, now there's a donkey. I mean, that guy's a donkey. He's lifting Jesus up and everybody knows. But other times, it's an anonymous owner. an Anonymous gift. What are their names? We don't know. There's at least two of them. Owners. Is it a man? Is it a woman? Is it a husband and a wife who come together and say, we want to do this for King Jesus. But imagine how for the rest of their lives, even though no one may have known that it was them, they can just rest in the joy of the fact that he used our stuff to show that he's king. He's king. And that happens right here in this place all the time. You know, just some of those things that I saw, let's just say even this morning, you, know, you think about the parking attendant who smiles every single week so that this feels like a comfortable place to come and get to know God. Or the East station teacher who is at the opposite end of this hallway or with our teenagers upstairs right now. The man or the woman who prays that God would use them To speak to our kids. Or maybe it is one of our students. Who knew what it felt like that somebody welcomed them. And so they've decided they'll be the person who befriends any other student that comes in. Whether they know them or not. To help make this a comfortable place for people to get to know God better. It might be the person who goes down to City Gospel Mission. Not just to serve a meal but to share a meal. And to find out how to love and care about somebody. And then goes home. And donates to City Gospel Mission. And no one ever knows. Gives to a ministry that they care about. And no one ever knows. But they have the joy with their king. Of celebrating. How that gives him rule. And authority in their life. And impacts his kingdom. Honestly I I would invite you to do this. Because I know so many of you do. Any person. Who comes to this place. And who prays here or anywhere about what God is doing at Horizon, what He is doing among us, you're giving Him glory like a donkey. Keep doing that. But it's not just the donkey, there's another picture here, which is the multitude themselves. That as Jesus came in, these were the ones who laid their cloaks, who began to sing, who began to shout. And we can give God glory like the multitude. I mean, we have a multitude in this room right now. But, but what does this look like? Because I think there's really two aspects of the multitude that come out. And one of those, it says that they began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. See, what they're doing here is they're being specific. Because remember, if this is taking place near Bethany... A lot of people have come from far distances. That a few people are traveling here, a few people are traveling here, and the closer they get to Jerusalem, they begin to kind of converge, and a small group and a little party and one family become a part of the multitude. And as they get closer, you can almost imagine somebody shouting out, Hey, that's Jesus! Hey, he came to our town once. What? Who's Jesus? Oh my goodness. There was this guy Lazarus. He died. We buried him. He smelled bad. And, and actually, this is... Lazarus, come here! This guy, Jesus, that guy on the donkey over there, he raised this man from the dead. Like, Pharisees were trying to kill Lazarus because they knew that he was dead and back from the dead, and that's not good for their business because it proves who Jesus was. So when the crowd gathers and they celebrate him for his mighty works, they're being specific. And that's for us. That when we come to give God praise, when we come to give God thanks, it's not just that we're thankful, but it's what we thank God for. That even as we sing in a place like this, when we come together in songs of worship, that it's more than just Praise God, because I guess this is the part where we do that. Right? It's praise God because they would sing throughout the Psalms, he brought us out of Egypt. He fed us in the wilderness. When we turned against him and went into captivity, he stayed with us and he brought us back from captivity. That he sent the Messiah, that he died on the cross, that he forgave our sins. That he gave people vision for a place like this where we could come and give him glory together and what about in your own life those places that you've seen him work that you've seen him heal that you've seen him forgive that you've seen him strengthen you and build your self-control that he's reminded you that he is in control you say God we praise you for your mighty works the crowd is specific but not only that I love the fact that it is a multitude and that they do this together. That there's a unity here. That there's absolutely beauty and value when we worship God one-on-one with him. But there's also something incredible when we gather together like this. Like they did. In fact, what they were singing to Jesus was something known as the Hallel. And this was a collection of Psalms, Psalm 113 through Psalm 118 that were put together in one collection, and they would sing this on their way to the pilgrimage feasts. And they would sing this again throughout the Passover week as they celebrated this festival. They would sing these songs out of the book of Psalms. And that word, Hallel, that's a Hebrew word. You're looking at it. It reads right to left, so that's your H, H L L. It just means praise. So when you hear the word Hallelujah, Hallel... Uh, Yahweh, praise the Lord. One of those words that you hear all the time that most of the time I think people don't know who they're actually talking to when they just because we often say it just like, sweet, hallelujah. It means praise Yahweh, praise the Lord, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. This is his word when we lift up his glory. And so they took that collection of Psalms and said, this is our praise. And what's really cool about that is is that collection gives them a common worship language. So no matter what corners of the Roman Empire you're coming from, as you approach Jerusalem, you're singing Psalm 113, 114, 115, all the way through 118. And as you get closer, you begin to hear voices in the distance. And they're singing it too. And we join in. And as we get closer, we hear more voices. Hey, here's a group. They joined together. They're singing it too. And they have a common worship language that they bring before the Lord God. In this, Hallel. Now I've got to tell you, If this was a three-hour message, I would love to show you everything that is in 113 through 118 out of the book of Psalms. Um, So let's just do that. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But here's what I will tell you. And this will benefit you massively in your personal walk with God, but also in the weeks to come in the book of Luke. I want to give you this assignment for the next week. As we go through this week, leading up to Christ's death, and leading up to when we come back for Easter for his resurrection celebration, each day this week, read one... Of those psalms. Maybe start today with 113. And read it in light of these moments. Think about what it would be like for Jesus and his disciples to sing these in this week leading up to his death and resurrection. I am holding my tongue not to go there because I want you to know the joy of discovery for yourself. (laughs) That there's so many incredible things. Because it it even tells us in one of the moments of the Last Supper. It says after uh, they sang a hymn, then they went out odds are that these psalms are what they were singing at that meal. In fact, one of those I will spend a few moments on is Psalm 118, the last psalm of this, because this is where the crowd got their lyrics that they sang that day, when they said, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That is right out of Psalm 118. That is a messianic declaration that they believe he is the king, he is the Messiah, and he is the Savior. But here's what's incredible here. I, I was reading this a few months ago before I even knew I was teaching this passage and had one of those moments where, like, there's verses you know really well, but you're not thinking about them, but you're reading some passage and then you hit one. You ever have that moment? You're like, this is interesting. This, Hey, I know this verse. Okay, so that happened to me in Psalm 118. First of all, because blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's quoted all over the New Testament because of this Palm Sunday, because of this triumphal entry. But there's more here. You know this one? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Also from Psalm 118, quoted all over the New Testament, because Jesus, who is about to be rejected, is the stone that lays the foundation for all of salvation. Or how about this one? This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. All of these come from Psalm 118, and all three of those are actually in this six verse block that you're looking at right here. So imagine the crowd singing these words I will praise you, that's God, for you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Now think about that. Jesus singing that on the way to the place where he is going to be rejected, beaten, and killed. And the next line he would sing is This was the Lord's doing. This was the plan all along, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This day, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. And that word, save now, on verse 25, you sang that this morning. That word is Hosanna. Jose Ana. Save now a cry to God in the voice of the Hallel. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Everyone could sh- sing these words. Everyone could share this worship language. We get to do that too. Right here in this place... When we sing, when we share these words, there's a unity that that creates that you can't find anywhere else. In fact, um, Sierra was sharing a couple weeks ago at our, our team prayer this story from the East station because they had been singing one of the songs that, that we would also sing. And as she's telling this story, I'm like, I think I know what she's talking about because one of my boys came home like all pumped that we did this song and so I did sort of that, like you get too excited and, and you rudely interrupt, like, which song? Hold on a second. By this band? Are you talking about this song? The one that goes, la, la, la. that is like my jam. I love that song. And and this was so cool because my youngest son is five years old, and this song is like special to our family because it was like the first song he ever learned to sing. And, you know, when he still can't make this sound and can't make that sound, he doesn't remember all the words, so he just fills in some of his own and like... <laughs> But I remember just this incredible moment of like, he was about three at the time, that me and a three-year-old can sing the same thing to our God. And so when she shared this, it was just like, man, like our kids and our students, they sing what we sing. Like we share that with them. And not only that, when we sing it in this place, It's not just this room. It's not just this building. It's across this city. When you sing something like Hosanna, your voice is unified across the globe with people who know him as King Jesus. But not just across the globe. When you sing something like Hosanna, when you sing from the Hallel, when we come to this place and we sing songs about who God is and to God for what he's done... Your voice is unified across history. The thousands and millions and billions of people who trusted God have sung Hosanna for ages past and will for ages to come. And Revelation even tells us that we will again wave palm branches before him as we sing with the elders and the church and the angels in his presence. Yeah, a common worship language. To be on the same words with each other at the same time. One of the things I love about uh, a group that I'm in is we, we take this message on the weekend and we just talk about it again later in the week. You know, to be in the same book, on the same page, at the same time as other people in this community, to share that. And so I would encourage you because I know that we all potentially have different musical styles, And yet we can have a common worship language. Like there was a really narrow window of time. You know what ska music is? I heard one, yeah. I see a head nodding. There was this really small window of time from like 1992 to 1996. Maybe 94. Where ska music was like, at least in my junior high, that was huge. And it's basically punk music with a brass section. But there was this Christian ska band that I still listen to almost every day. And that is like, that's like like—that's like my personal worship language. When, when me and God are singing, that's what I'm singing. Probably not for this room. Probably not for you guys. I don't know. If, if you're interested, come and talk to me. But. <laughs> but what I love is we have some of these songs that when we share them together, the words that are in them, when they come right out of Scripture, it doesn't matter what kind of music it's set to. We're singing unified before our God. And I know that it's hard to get to this room on time because I think every week my wife and I are like, oh my goodness, the first song is starting because we're still trying to check in kids and get down here. But I would tell you, we want you in here. We do. I don't, I don't mean like we on the, I mean we. We need that from you. We need that with you. That we share that unity together when we worship our God. That we come in this place for our Hallel because when we do that, we give the highest glory to King Jesus. Jesus. When we do that together, when we glorify him like a donkey, like the multitude, we give the highest glory to King Jesus. In fact, for his entire life, you can bring up that next slide, for his entire life, the proclamation that he was going to be king has been spoken over him. This is what the angel told Mary when she was pregnant. You are going to give birth to the king. He will sit on the throne of his father David and of his kingdom. There will be no end. He is King Jesus. That's why the crowd, in those words, in 1938, they say, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. That first phrase, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, is a messianic statement. Not just any king, but the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Right out of Psalm 118, and this is the crowd saying, We believe that you are are the Savior. Now, as we mentioned, within a week, I mean, we don't know, we don't have a list of names, how many of this multitude joined the mob that were calling for his life because they thought he was a king who would conquer Rome. But their second line, they sang it themselves, actually tells us why he was here. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Glory in the highest is reserved for God alone. But you see, in the Roman Empire, it's different for us. You know, we live in a democracy, we vote for things, and and people, you know, believe what you want to believe. But they lived in an empire that was working on global domination and said that they had one king, and that was Caesar. So you walk into that place, I believe that Jesus is king. That's not sort of like a cool spiritual metaphor, That's a statement of commitment. That's a statement of alignment. That I'm going to look at my life and submit everything here. And if it goes against what Caesar says, well, Caesar's not my king. Jesus is my king. I make my decisions based on Jesus. I change my life based on Jesus. Let's be honest, Jesus changes my life based on Jesus. And so this statement, peace in heaven, that tells you why he was here. That tells you why he rode in on a donkey. Why with all the humility, though he was the king of kings, he came in as a king of peace to be anointed because that same week he was going to be the sacrificial lamb to make peace for us with God. That is why he was here. That he came to die To rise again, to conquer death. And that in that moment, everything that you or I have ever done, every failure that has hurt me, has hurt the people I care about, has hurt people I didn't care about but should have, everything that has fallen short of my standard and fallen short of God's glory, can be forgiven through the cross of King Jesus who came to make peace for us with heaven. So I ask myself this question, and I would ask you too, do you know him as King Jesus? Does he sit on the throne in your life? Are you the donkey that when he tries to sit down, you kind of scoot forward a little bit because you're not quite ready for that? (laughs) Or do you lift him up as king and let others see that he is king? Is he king of your finances? Is he king of your alone time? Is he king in your relationships? Do you talk to him every day about what he wants for his kingdom and how we serve him? Because there were some in the crowd, as we saw, who did not see him as king. They had the choice to either rejoice or reject. And it says some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd... Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I mean, just imagine the mass of people that have gathered in this place. They're laying their cloaks to pave the road in front of him. And then there's a few of these Pharisees. Like, how did he even hear their little squeaky voices over the crowd that was singing? Tell them to stop, Jesus! No. He answered and said, I tell you, if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Same picture as chapter 3, where he says he can raise children of Abraham from the stones but he doesn't need the stones because he has us. Jesus is telling them in this moment, you cannot silence the Hallel. You cannot silence the Hallel. And so here's what I want us to do tonight. I'm going to invite Neil to come out. And I know that the next time we gather in this place will be Easter And on Easter, we are going to celebrate his resurrection. But before we get there, as we go through this week, we also are reflecting on his death. The price that he paid for you and for me to make peace with God. And so I want to give you just a minute right now in the presence of King Jesus, in the presence of the Lord, to just think on his death, to think on the reason that he rode in as a king to think on the moment that we celebrate him as the multitude and to stay in that moment. So just meditate for a minute or so as Neil plays on all of the mighty works that you would give him thanks for. The things that he has forgiven you for, the death that he died for you. And then we'll close with our own halal. King Jesus, we give you the glory. We give you the highest glory. And we thank you for being our King of Peace. Hear us now, Jesus, as we sing our Hallel to you. Would you stand with us as we close with this chorus? Hosanna! Would you please join us again next week as we do celebrate Easter and his resurrection if you don't have tickets for that they are complimentary, you can still get them and we invite you back next week thank you for coming